Welcome to the Global Governance Perspective, a podcast presented by the Global Governance Institution. I'm retired Captain Andy Tian, the founder and the president of the Global Governance Institution. In this episode, we will share a presentation by Captain Andy on the newly released China's Coast Guard law. The presentation was delivered on a workshop on maritime security governance, the role of security actors in East Asia. Which was hosted by the Asia Pacific Unit of the DCAF, the Geneva Center for Security Sector Governance. The new China Coast Guard law was passed on January 22 and came into force on February 1, 2021. Although assuming the same standard operating procedure as with any other Chinese national legislation. The release of the new China Coast Guard law raised many concerns among neighboring countries who have maritime disputes with China, and as well maritime powers who have interest in this region. Those concerns include interalia. Did China enact such a law so as to institutionally consolidate its assertive, aggressive approach in handling maritime disputes with its neighbors? Since the China Coast Guard is incorporated into People's Armed Police, which is under the leadership of the Central Military Committee, whether the China Coast Guard vessels have turned into warships, would the new China Coast Guard law empower the Chinese Coast Guard to use actual military force against foreign vessels? Will the Chinese Coast Guard enforce law in disputed maritime areas, including through use of force? Whether China will push or expand its claims on disputed islands or maritime areas through forcible law enforcement actions carried out by the China Coast Guard, which is now under the military command, to answer those and other concerns surrounding the new China Coast Guard law, please tune in to this episode of Global Governance Perspective, given by retired Captain Andy Tian. Um, our second panelist, so Captain Tian Shuchan, who's going to be talking about the Chinese Coast Guard, I believe, in his presentation. Thank you, Captain Tian. Good. Thank you, Scott, and I thank you, uh, uh, Rocky, for giving me uh, two time to speak. I will treat you two more beers when you are here <laughs> in Beijing. And uh, I think uh, there are many concerns uh, with regard to the Chinese Coast Guard law. Uh, I think uh, first I would like to thank uh, uh, the Japanese friends, Professor uh, Sato, uh, because he has given a very uh, detailed explanation about the development of Chinese Coast Guard. So I would uh, let it out. And the China's National People's Congress Standing Committee released on the, its uh, official website a draft law for the purpose of collecting the public comments. Until、uh, December, the new actually the new China Coast Guard was passed on January twenty、uh, second and came into force on February first.、Uh, although a seemingly a same standard operating procedure as with any other Chinese national legislation, the release of new China Coast Guard law raises many concerns among neighboring countries who have maritime disputes with China. And as well, the maritime powers who have interests in this region.、Uh, no sooner had the National People's Congress Standing Committee released the document than、uh, I was interviewed in this regard by both domestic and international media, and as well approached by、uh, some military attaches based here in Beijing for comment. So this is not not a new、uh, topic for me. I think journalists and military attaches have many of their cons- concerns in common, as with、uh, today's speakers. They both question the timing and motivation of China's legislative move, as they see China taking assertive or aggressive actions in both South China Sea and East China Sea. The authorization of the use of force as an enforcement measure in the new law. Also led to concerns about using force in disputed maritime area, and against foreign warships conducting freedom navigation program operations. Further complicating the issue is the fact that the China Coast Guard fleet was incorporated into the People's Armed Police Force 
in 2018, turning it into a seemingly dual role as both an armed force and a civilian law enforcement agency. These adjustments raise the concern about carrying out law enforcement functions by a military organization. It blurs an already vague distinction between the use of force in law enforcement activities and the use of force in international relations, which is clearly banned by the Article 2.4 of the Charter of the United Nations. So my presentation attempt to address this, those concerns in particular from perspective of international law as well as from international practice, so as to examine whether they hold water or not, where a state is free to enact laws within its jurisdiction, at the very least, as provided by Article 27 of the Vienna Convention on the Law of the Treaties, a party may not invoke the provisions of its internal law as justification for its failure to perform a treaty. So these are the questions I want to explain today. So next slide. First concern I'd, I'd like to address is timing and incentive or motivation to enact new China Coast Guard law. Given the background of border tensions between China and India on land, and as well the maritime dispute in both the South China Sea with other claiming states and East China Sea with Japan, many questions uh, question the timing and the motivation to enact the China Coast Guard law. A shared perception is that China wants to enact such a law so as to institutionally consolidate this um, assertive or aggressive approach in handling maritime disputes with its neighbors. They are worried that uh, this already hard approach, if consolidated by law, will break a rule-based international order and the stability in this region. So <clears throat> my clarification or answer is, it should be first clarified that enacting such law by coastal states to authorize the use of force by law enforcement agencies is normal international practice allowed by international law. The US, Japan, Canada, France, to name just a few, all have enacted similar laws. Though some laws, uh, such laws may differ in titles and contents, in fact, coastal states have obligations under international law to enact domestic laws, to implement those international conventions to which they are parties. Therefore, there is nothing strange or new for China to enact such laws. Also, it is not the first time that China enacts such laws. As early as December 2007, the provisions on law enforcement on the sea by public security organs was released in the form of a decree of Ministry of Public Security of the People's Republic of China. Its number is number 94. It provides detailed procedures and kinds of weapons for Coast Guards to use force in carrying out law enforcement functions. Therefore, to update old laws is the very first motivation and as well a natural step behind the latest legislative move on the China Coast Guard law. In line with the latest restructuring of the maritime law enforcement agencies, as mentioned also by our Japanese friends, new laws are needed to lay down charters for new organizations with new functions, in particular with changes which put the Chinese Coast Guard under the administration of a uh, uh, People's Armed Police Force, a paramilitary force that was itself put under the direct command of the Central Military Commission, not until 2018. The new law is specifically needed to implement the only one resolution of National People's Congress Standing Committee, which confers law enforcement function on Coast Guards. According to paragraph four of the decision of the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress 
on exercising of the marine rights, safeguarding and law enforcement functions and powers by the China Coast Guard. It reads like this, <coughs> excuse me. When conditions are ripe, relevant parties should promptly propose proposals for enacting and amending relevant laws and submit them for deliberation in accordance with legal procedures. This paragraph serves as the very basis of the drafting of the new China Coast Guard law. Another source which demands a stipulation of American law enforcement is Article 47 of the Law of the People of the Republic of China on the People's Armed Police Force, which reads that it should be enacted as another law that the People's Armed Police be authorized to carry out the American law enforcement missions. Next slide, please. One article on the website of the National Interest uh, uh, in the US, uh, US uh, think tank emphasized that uh, the new draft law would empower the Chinese Coast Guard to use actual military force against foreign vessels. It coincides with the background that the China Coast Guard was switched from the state's Oceania Bureau, which is the civilian authority, to the People's Armed Police Force, which used to have a dual command structure, including the Central Military Committee and the State Council through the Ministry of Public Security. So the incorporation means that the China Coast Guards was put under the sole command of Central Military Committee and became one part of the armed force. The change raises some questions, first of which is, that could the military force be used by a state to perform maritime law enforcement functions? There's no uniform state practice in this regard. Neither are there any rules of international law which prohibit a state to use military assets to carry out law enforcement missions. Some countries, as mentioned by Professor Saki, like the US, Japan, Extra have Coast Guard specifically designated as the only maritime law enforcement agencies. However, not all countries have designated Coast Guard to enforce maritime laws due to restraints of civilian assets and as well the weakness of civilian capability in terms of maritime awareness in offshore area. Some other countries with large EEZs do use military assets to carry out American law enforcement functions, ranging from immigration control to protection of fishery. Professor Sherry noted that some states deploy their navies and air forces in this role, supplementing them where necessary with vessels and officials operated and staffed by such agencies as customs, environment, fisheries, health, and immigration departments. Other states have a designated Coast Guard service, which carries out all law enforcement activities as said in peacetime. I think one typical example is Australia. The Australian Maritime Border Command as a multi-agency task force within Australian Border Force, comprising of a blend of Australian Maritime Border Force officers and Australian Defence Force officers is led by a rear admiral from Department of Defence, which who is also a sworn Australian Border Force officer, allowing use of both ABF and assigned defence assets. A similar role is played by one branch of UK Royal Navy. The Overseas Patrol Squadron, which is made up of four river-class offshore patrol vessels and one helicopter, is the oldest frontline squadron in the Royal Navy. The mission of Overseas Patrol Squadron is to patrol the fishery limits of England, Wales, and Northern Ireland, protecting the British fishing industry and safeguarding the nation's maritime economy. Their versatile offshore patrol vessels can also be used in maritime counterterrorism 
counter drug surveillance and uh, pollution control. But even for China, there are circumstances where PLA Navy was authorized to carry out maritime law enforcement missions as stipulated in the agreement between China and Vietnam on the joint patrol in Northern Gulf Bay. Since China Coast Guard became one part of the military, a code-related question is whether the China Coast Guard vessels have turned into warships. Before incorporating into military, legal status, legal status of China Coast Guard vessel as policing vessels under the supervision of former state ocean any administration has remained as in the enclosed term, other government ship operated for non-commercial purposes. Notwithstanding, it also enjoys sovereign immunity. If applying strictly the definition of worship as mentioned by our Japanese friends under Article 29 of the uh, 1982 UNCLOS Convention to Coast Guard, China Coast Guard vessels, the answer should be yes, in the sense China Coast Guard vessels are, are worships, enjoy the status worship in international law, enjoying the same sovereign immunity as Navy vessels. A similar case exists with the US Coast Guards. I, I, I will not elaborate too much on that. Next slide, please. This is one of the tricky issues, very uh, important issues we have discussed so, uh, so on. Legal categorization of forcible actions at sea, law enforcement versus use of force. There exists a second question relating to the incorporation of China Coast Guard into military commands. If military units were used as law enforcement agencies and actually used the force against foreign vessels and the, China, and the Coast Guard's uh, coastal state jurisdiction, is it still a law enforcement activity within, which is in nature maritime policing governed by domestic law or does it become a use of force as military activity constituting a violation of Article 2.4 of UN Charter, which prohibits the use of force in international relations. State practice shows that using force in maritime law enforcement against foreign vessels under its jurisdiction is not uncommon and is allowed by international law. There exist both incidents involving the use of force in which either Chinese vessels are targets of foreign law enforcement or in which Chinese Coast Guard targeted foreign vessels in maritime law enforcement. I have explained that in the previous session. And the issue is whether the use of force against foreign vessels in maritime law enforcement, hereafter I would refer to as the maritime law enforcement context, constitutes a breach of obligation and Article 2.4. Uh, UN Charter on prohibition of use of force in international relations. I would refer it as a use of force at sea. However, as many experts append and vindicated by international jurisdictions, the distinction between maritime law enforcement and the use of force at sea is as tricky in law as it is fundamental in practice. The scenarios may differ from case to case, and there is no clear demarcation of legal lines yet. And uh, the factors affecting the legal categorization may include uh, those elements. Next, of next of slide, please. Karkit. Uh, those are some of the factors. I will not elaborate uh, each of them. First and foremost, the legal status and the regulatory mission to the entity which enforces the law. Second, legal basis for using force, even for navies which with dual role of the both armed forces and law enforcement agencies. The legal basis for maritime law enforcement is statutory power and the jurisdiction in general enjoys under domestic law. While the legal basis for the use of force at sea is the right of self-defense under international law. The third, 
the object of enforcement action, targeting a worship or other government ship operated for non-commercial purpose is more obviously be taken as use of force at sea than maritime law enforcement. First, purpose of the enforcement action. Although they do overlap to some extent, the purpose of the maritime law enforcement is to protect against and punish violation of specific maritime rights and international laws, which implement international law, while the purpose of use of force at sea is to protect territorial integrity or political independence of coastal states against foreign threats. The fifth, actual use of force in enforcement action. Maritime law enforcement entails the use of, the use of lethal force well, in the scenario of use of force at sea, even there exists no actual use of force, use of lethal force, it could still constitute threat of force as confirmed by the Guyana Suriname Award pursuant to arbitration under Article uh, 287 of uh, 1982 and clause. And also place of enforcement action Maritime enforcement in disputed maritime area enjoys a high possibility of blurring with the use of force at sea. Finally, consequence of the enforcement action. Normally speaking, maritime law enforcement does not incur state responsibility, which could only be pursued with restriction of exhaustion of national remedy rules. As for the use of force at sea, injured states could directly apply for international responsibility of states. So given the above comprehensive benchmark as a starting point, the review of new China Coast Guard law would find that there is no sharp difference between China's approach and the practice of many other coastal states. As has been clearly stipulated in the new China Coast Guard law, the China Coast Guard law was conferred upon police power to enforce maritime laws in various maritime zones under Chinese jurisdiction. Although China Coast Guard was incorporated into military and its vessels became military assets, the organizational change does not in any way prohibit the China Coast Guard from carrying out maritime law enforcement functions as a statutory maritime law enforcement agency. Its use of force is in nature law enforcement action and does not constitute a use of force in international relations. And finally, Though the use of force in law enforcement is widely accepted as state practice and allowed by international law, it is in no way unlimited, unlawful, unjustifiably forcible, and the clumsy law enforcement can be the occasion not only of disputes, but even of armed conflicts. Although the rules of international law governing the use of force in maritime law enforcement could hardly be found in international treaties. There are some international jurisdictions which may reflect customary international law. I think uh, our Japanese friends have identified some of them. Take the Saiga case adjudicated by International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, for example. The tribunal confirmed and, and applied the principles that the use of force in the arrest of a ship at sea may only be used as a last resort and must not go beyond what is reasonable and necessary in the circumstances. Next slide, please. The scope of application and enforcing jurisdiction against foreign vessels in disputed waters. One contentious point relates to the scope of application of a new China Coast Guard law. It is contained it is containing Article 3, which reads that this law applies to maritime, maritime law enforcement by China Coast Guard agencies in maritime areas 
under the jurisdiction of the People's Republic of, Republic of China. And it's above space. Several questions are raised in this particular by both journalists and the defense attaches. First, what are the exact scope of maritime areas and the jurisdictions of China? Second, does the maritime areas under the jurisdiction of China include all maritime areas China claim, despite that they may be disputed by neighboring countries? Third, will China Coast Guards enforce law in disputed maritime areas, including through the use of force? Given the unsettled maritime disputes between China and its uh, neighboring countries in both East China Sea and the South China Sea, it is no surprise that new China Coast Guard law touched off concerns from both media and the neighboring countries, like Japan and Vietnam, just one day after the new draft Coast Guard law was uh, put on the website for public uh, comments, uh, the Japan Times was quick to publish the first coverage of the event from the media. Government officials and spokespersons from both Japan and Vietnam also responded quickly to corresponding questions by emphasizing their sovereignty in disputed maritime area. What they are concerned is whether China will push or expand its claims on disputed islands or maritime area through forcible law enforcement actions carried out by the China Coast Guards, which has been incorporated into the military commands. A more underlying concern is that miscalculated law enforcement activities may lead up to maritime incidents or even armed conflicts at sea. Japanese media boasted that this is a dangerous step and a direct threat to the territorial security of Japan, as well as some neighboring countries with China. So my response is, in the first place, it should be clarified that the new China Coast Guard law is not designed to clarify China's position with regard to the maritime areas under its jurisdiction. The main purpose is to stipulate the functions of China Coast Guard and the procedure China Coast Guard should follow when enforcing the maritime laws applied in maritime areas under China's jurisdiction. As for the specific scope of maritime area under China's jurisdiction, one should also refer to other law and official papers regarding China's maritime claim. So, the new China Coast Guard law does not add to or deduct from those claims as laid down by those other laws. As for law enforcement in disputed maritime area, I have asked a question in the first session. The China Coast Guard will function under the new law as maritime law enforcement agency as any other coastal states does in disputed waters under their jurisdiction. So if you ask the question to our Korean friends, could you say that Korea would not enforce law in Tokyo? So these concerns are just the same. I think as presented by Suriname, it is quite normal for coastal states to undertake law enforcement activities in disputed area against vessels and the foreign flags, including the flag of the other party to the dispute. In fact, to enforce law in disputed area is in a sense state practice needed to strengthen its maritime claims. No coastal states would claim that their law enforcement agencies will not enforce law in disputed maritime areas. However, the approach could be tailored when enforcing law in disputed area so as to not escalate the situation from a law enforcement activity to incident or armed conflict at sea. In this regard, states rely more on their own and international best practices 
accumulated from past experiences. The basic guiding principle should be the, that of the uh, peaceful settlement of international disputes enshrined in the UN Charter. In fact, maritime disputes are quite common between states with adjacent or opposite codes. Taking, for instance, as such between Japan and South Korea, Japan and Russia, US and Canada, extra. However, seldom do those disputes are finally solved through armed conflicts at sea. States with their distant control and with, with, within the framework of applicable international law, there is nothing to worry about the application of new China Coast Guard law in disputed waters leading up to armed conflict at sea, given China's rich experiences in peacefully signing land border demarcation agreements with 12 of its 14 land neighbors. Such experiences could be borrowed to solve the maritime disputes. So we are neighbors. neighbors. This is a kind of identity we could not change. So I think China is neighbors. We finally find a way out. Next slide, please. Enforcing jurisdiction over non-sovereign immune vessels and observance of international obligations. Another shared concern regarding the new China Coast Guard law is that maritime law enforcement by China Coast Guard against foreign non-sovereign immune vessels under the new law may infringe upon their current concurrent right and freedom under international law. Take for instance, the right of innocent passage in the territorial sea and the freedom of navigation and overflight in the EZ. The issue touches, touches upon a fair balance of rights and duties under international law between coastal states and other states as user states. On the one hand, coastal states have different zonal jurisdiction in various maritime zones. On the other hand, the user states have different rights and freedoms in the same corresponding maritime zones. The key factors for a, coast state, for a coastal state to assert jurisdiction legally over non-sovereign immune foreign flag vessels depends largely on the maritime zone in which the foreign vessel is located and the activities in which it is engaged. The internationally recognized jurisdictions of coastal states vary from one maritime zone to another. Coastal states may enjoy full sovereignty in internal waters. While in the territorial sea, the sovereignty of coastal states is subject to the right of innocent, innocent passage recognized by international law. Even in one same zone, the condition for enforcement of civilian jurisdiction may be quite different from that of a criminal jurisdiction. Similarly, with different constraints, coastal states law enforcement action may be taken against foreign non-immune vessel in their contiguous zone for physical, immigration, centenary, and customs violations in the exclusive economic zone for natural resources violations and over continental shelf for seabed resource violations. Further complicating the issue is that even in the same maritime zone, coastal states may have clear prescriptive jurisdiction without automatically having an entitlement to exercise enforcement jurisdiction against foreign vessels. So, given the above ambiguity and the complexity in enforcing maritime jurisdictions, the concerns shared by foreign media and diplomats over the new China Coast Guard law are logic and reasonable. Excuse me. However, the same concerns also apply to Coast Guard law of any other coastal nations. 
China's new Coast Guard law is not alone in this respect. It should be first clarified. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the maritime enforcement actions will only be targeted against foreign vessels which violated domestic laws of coastal states applicable in the maritime zone where the illegal activities operate. Furthermore, the new China Coast Guard law have already taken good care of the fair balance of the rights and duties between coastal states and user states. Of particular importance is Article 18, fourth paragraph, which reads that the exercise of the right of approach, visit, inspection, and hot pursuit shall comply with international treaties to which China is a party. So there are international standards. Given the ambiguous position of China's constitution on status of international law within national legal system, be it international treaties or international custom, as well the, 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 the diversified practice of implementing international law in different judicial areas, Article 18.4 could arguably be construed as the direct application of international treaties in the maritime law enforcement, notwithstanding a final confirmation by future jurisdiction in domestic courts of China. Okay, finally, conclusion. Notwithstanding the sovereign immunity they enjoyed, the application of military assets in the law enforcement tasks is commonplace in, in, in international practice, which is allowed by international law. Accordingly, the incorporation of China Coast Guard into military command does not prevent it being used as maritime law enforcement agencies, as long as the new China Coast Guard law confers upon China Coast Guard statutory power to enforce maritime law, and the enforcement power is lawfully executed in line with the standards under international law, both substantially and procedurally, there should be no extra concerns with the performance of law enforcement tasks by China Coast Guard as compared with other foreign law enforcement agencies, which are also military assets. Even in disputed waters and with regard to foreign non-sovereign immune vessels, international best practice has been developed to guarantee the law enforcement activi activities not escalating into incidents or armed conflict at sea. There do exist occasionally intense situations in East China Sea or South China Sea. However, none of these situations are new flashpoints as I emphasized uh, yesterday. They are just long existing unsettled historical disputes reflecting the fact of claimants challenging each other. In contrast with the hyping up of maritime situation in which China is allegedly accused of taking assertive actions, intentionally being overlooked is the fact that China has sent land border demarcation treaties I have mentioned with 12 of its 14 neighbors. As with the legislative move on the new China Coast Guard law, Similar concerns, I'd like to look at the history. Similar concerns had been raised when China established in East China Sea its first air defense identification zone in December 2013. There were widely spread allegations then in the West media that China's establishment of ADIZ would help expanding its maritime sovereign claims endangering navigation safety of civilian airlines, worsening security situation in Northeast Asia region, to name just a few. Seven years have passed and none of the allegations turned into reality. It should be questioned why concerns are raised whenever the same international practice is undertaken by China or communist China. 
why China phobia or why only targeting China? So I'd like to highlight only two points. First is strategically US-China competition and operationally US disinformation campaign against China. Second, default mode of blaming China for its failure in domestic security governance. So my final word is any allegations and concerns should be formulated on the basis of the law and the facts instead of identity or ideology. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you. No, thank you very much, Captain Tian. I think that was perfect, perfect timing as well. We're right on half 10, which is, I think, where we intended to kind of bring it to a close. So now it's brilliant. Thank you. So I'd like to open up the, the floor for a q and I, I imagine there's there's lots of questions for Captain Tian or lots of comments. Oh, yeah, sorry. So uh, we've got Jay Tangela. So Jay, hand over to you. Thank you. Um, good morning and good afternoon to everyone. Um, thank you for the wonderful and uh, interesting presentations. Um, I have two questions for uh, Captain Chi Chen. Yeah, my, my first question is about the Article 20. I would like to ask if you think that China is not um, undermining the sovereign rights of other states if they would um, dismantle the foreign outposts of other Southeast Asian claimants, considering that these outposts uh, fall within the exclusive economic zone of these countries. And then the second one is about Article 21 of the new Chinese Coast Guard law. Um, I would like to ask if you think that it is um, in accordance with uh, international law if um, the Chinese Coast Guard will expel uh, Southeast Asian uh, law enforcement vessels, whether it's Coast Guard, military, and other government ships from their own exclusive economic zone, since it overlaps the Chinese uh, Nine Dash Line claim. So those are my two questions, Professor, and thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jay. I think to both of your questions, my answer is, China will solve all those kind of disputes in accordance with peaceful settlement of disputes in accordance with the UN Charter. That's my short answer. Thank you. Kentaro Furuya, uh, if you had a question, I think. Thank you. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Captain Chen. Uh, your explanation is quite clear. And I well, I think I, I, I can agree the use of force written in the Chinese Coast Guard law because it is, you know, rather you should write on the Chinese domestic law much earlier stage, uh, you know, as far as you are going to use force uh, in a law enforcement operation. That is recommended not only by a, a, a law, but also the general assembly resolutions. And the other comment to you is that if you use, or you know, the enforcement activities in disputed area, particularly in the EZ or continental shelf, then it might uh, constitute a violation of Article 74 or 83. Uh, because even law enforcement activities in disputed area may uh, delay uh, the uh, final agreement to reach uh, between two nations. Uh, my question is for you is, uh, what is the nature of Nainda Shrine? I think that kind of understanding is not uh, very clear uh, to the international community or at least the regional states, uh, you know, uh, if the Nainda Shrine is a boundary of your state, it means that within the Nainda Shrine is, you know, the equivalent to the territorial sea or the internal water uh, we, in which the Chinese uh, Coast Guard sovereignty extend, or it might be a, the boundary of the sovereign rights within which uh, you have sovereign rights over uh, the natural resources, uh, both living and non-living. Or maybe it is a boundary of within which uh, the all island is under Chinese control, and then uh, the territory or the EZ, or its equivalent is uh, set out by uh, in accordance with uh, the Law of Sea Convention. Uh, this is one question to you. And the other question is that uh, you bring uh, Chagos case or. Uh, that in, in which uh, the UK is not fully complied with uh, the decision of the international justice. And then 
it, it sounds to me at least uh, that it, you justify yourself by examples of other states ignoring uh, the international justice, or uh, you may uh, justify yourself by examples of other states not observing international laws and regulations. Is that common understanding of the Chinese elite? This is my second question. Thank you very much. Uh, first, about the nature of Nandesh line. For, for this question, I would like to refer you to the official position uh, published on the second day of the decision of the ruling of uh, South China Sea arbitration. It, it, we, we published an official paper. The basic, uh, basic idea is that neither is it as many media, China, Western media claim that China claimed 90% or 80% or all, all of the areas within national Nandash uh, line as these territorial waters or, or, or internal waters. It is combination of many kinds of types of rights and sovereignty, sovereignty of islands, and then territorial sea, and then EZ. So it's a combination of rights and, uh, and uh, sovereign rights. So I will not cover it. I'm not established in very detail. I would like to refer you to the official paper uh, published on the second day of the publish of the ruling. And as for the UK Chagos case, you mentioned that if it is the case that China wants to excuse its non-compliance with South China Sea arbitration ruling because other countries do not follow the rulings of UN tribunals or court. No, definitely not. That is why I emphasized at each occasion that as I'm not making an Tukoki argument. So China's case in the South China is quite different from Chicago case. We are legally funded. We have international basis, so it's quite different. What is Tukoki argument? I think Japan has used it in the in the Tokyo Tribunal to argue, to defend its position because the United States also dropped bombs, also used some unlethal methods to kill the Japanese people. That is to Tokoke. You killed a person, I killed a person, so you cannot chuck me. No, definitely not. I'm not making an Tokoke argument. China's case in South China Sea is legal, but UK's position, UK's position in the Chagos is not like China. Okay, thank you. Question. I think we have one more, um, which I guess will be directed towards uh, Captain Tian as well from uh, Commander Sato. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for your presentation, uh, Captain Chen Tian. Um, I have some comment and question, but uh, most important for me is I would like to make sure the uh, status, legal status of Coast Guard vessel. Um, I didn't criticize the status of uh, Coast Guard, China's Coast Guard vessel used as warship. I didn't criticize. That is very uh, actually good choice. In my presentation, I told you that uh, I told everybody that the uh, uh, US Coast Guard and Russian uh, Coast Guard uh, vessels have a status worship from peacetime. So I would like to make sure that uh, China's Coast Guard vessel have a status of worship only in wartime or from peacetime. Always she has uh, worship status or not. I would like to make sure that point. My one comment is uh, sovereign uh, immunity vessel. Uh, exercise of jurisdiction or law enforcement activity against sovereign immunity vessel like a warship or a state ship is, uh, I think, incompatible with uh, law, international law and law of the sea. Uh, Coast Guard law mentioned if a warship Foreign worship uh, violate China's law. Coast Guard can 
uh, take measures, possible measures. But uh, according to UNCLOS Article 30, uh, the non-compliance by warships with the laws and the regulation of the coastal state is only you can do uh, uh, require the, to leave the territorial sea. That is the only measure. But if that is a uh, violation of, of sovereignty or a kind of armed attack, you can do forcible measure, but that is not exercise of jurisdiction. That is a uh, measure under UNCLOS 25 or self-defense. That is my understanding. Thank you. About the legal status of the Coast Guard uh, ship, uh, my answer is that it enjoys the status of worship as similar with the U.S. Coast Guard. I would like to refer you to the Commander's Handbook by the United States. And uh, also you mentioned about the, the wartime and peacetime. Uh, it, it should have a stipulation to, to, to clearly define it. It is missing in the new law, but I think there are other stipulations in Chinese law uh, to, to keep control of, of, of the switch. And uh, also, as for the uh, forcible measures taken uh, taken against warships, I uh, basically general I agree with your point. Uh, the Article 30 of UNCLOS has uh, stipulated very clearly: if it violates the domestic law of the coastal states, you can only ask it to leave. The question is: if it does not obey your order, there is no law on that. So these are my answers to Professor Sato. Thank you, Captain Tim. This is the end of the episode on China Coast Guard Law. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy our program. Please do follow and subscribe to the Global Governance Perspective. You could also follow us on our Twitter and Facebook to write your comments. Look forward to joining us next time.